Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sat down with Greg Meskel, the Director of Communications for USA Water Polo. If you enjoy the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right. We are here at the College of Marin uh, with USA Water Polo's Greg Meskel. Uh, thanks, Greg, for being here. It's nice to run into you up in uh, NorCal. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Great to be here. Uh, happy to kick off what will be your least downloaded episode of all time. <laughs> no way, man. No way. No way. This is, I, I think a lot of people, we were talking off uh, before we started recording, I think, I think a lot of people are curious about not just like coaching and playing, but like the world of water polo. Sure. And I think what's unique about having you here is the like different perspective that you have from somebody who's like maybe outside looking in and now being involved for so long. So um, I guess that kind of leads me to my first question, which is how did you get involved with the sport of water polo? Uh, Totally random journey into water polo. So uh, I'm from the East Coast, uh, grew up in New Jersey. There is very little water polo there. To give you an idea, all of the high schools in our area, not one of them has a pool. So there are swim teams. They all have to drive far away to share the one pool. There's no water polo. Uh, the joke as a freshman in high school was go to the third floor and find the pool. <laughs> there is no third floor. There's no pool, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, so very little knowledge of water polo. I, I was a lifeguard for years during the summer, and we would play a version of water polo that was not water polo. It was yeah. like 12 on 12. There were street hockey nets. It was a volleyball because everyone thought the real water polo ball was too hard. <laughs> um, and then fast forward, I, I don't really have any experience with water polo until I get to Wagner College. As a graduate student, I was a graduate assistant, so I was the radio voice of Wagner basketball and football for two years. And then after the second year, they said, do you want to keep doing that job but also be a GA here? You can work as a sports information person. And I was like cobbling together all these different jobs. I was working as a a TV producer, and I was doing announcing. Wow. And so this was something else. And it was a chance to get a master's degree. Uh, So I ended up getting a master's degree in education, uh, teaching certificate for, uh, for 7 through 12. But while I'm there... I'm a sports information person, and my sports were help out on football because I was already going to all the games, uh, swimming, track and field, and then I remember clear as day, they said uh, you can do wrestling or water polo, wow. and and your your pick, and I had met the water polo coach Pat Beamer at the time, and he seemed like a nice enough guy, and I said I'll go with the water polo thing. I'm already at the pool for swimming. I might as well roll with that, and that was my introduction into it. And uh, he kind of taught me the ropes that first year of what is going on and how does this game get played and all that stuff and uh, came along at a good time for them in that they were one of the best teams. They're still very, very good. They've, they've gone to a different level now. Yeah, yeah. But at the time, they're very good for, for a newish program. Um, and the second year I was there, they won the tournament and they went to NCAAs in Los Alamitos at the Joint Forces training base. Um, and that was like my introduction to water polo at an even higher level. We wow. did a few California trips, but saw it there. Um, and that was kind of my foray into water polo into something I, I didn't know much about at all. Yeah, so Pat Beamer, he w- ended up being the Caltech coach, right? He has uh, had a few different jobs. Okay. So he was at Wagner, Indiana, Caltech, St. Francis, launched that program in Loretto, Pennsylvania, and now he's at Laverne. Gotcha, okay. So that's why he's the color commentator sometimes. You guys go way back then. Way back, yeah. I mean, that that's that's the introduction to water polo. That's really cool. Um, and so we would do broadcast. Uh, you know, back in the day on the super final, that sort of stuff. Um, a little bit tougher when he was out of California. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was, he was the guy that kind of taught me uh, how the sport works and explained that, you know, this was the college level, right? But there's the Olympic level and all these different things rolled into it. Yeah. And so as you've gone from, you know, when you enter a new sport as an adult, you know, you have a, you have like a whole new perspective sort of on, you know, what's good, what's bad, you know, what you might change. And so what I've, what I've asked all my guests is like, what's your overall uh, feeling about the state of water polo right now? We're in an Olympic year. And let me just say one last thing before you answer the question, you kind of came in during the time where water polo started ramping up in terms of popularity. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of different things over the last, you know, several years. Totally. Well, just to give you an idea, I was 
at the MAC Championship in 2007 as Wagner's SID, and I was at the Olympic Games in 2008 wow. as USA Water Polo's press person. So that year difference <laughs> was eye-opening. Yeah. Right? I never left the country before, right? So to go and do that the next year, and all the people at Wagner were like, what is this yeah. guy doing at the Olympics a year later? He doesn't even know How'd this guy get this gig? <laughs> he didn't play. What is he doing? Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so I like the idea, and I've and I and I've always enjoyed that I that I didn't play the sport and that I didn't um, come up in some water polo rich area. Yeah. There's no knock on that, but I think you can bring a very fresh perspective to something when you haven't done it your whole life. It, you know, it, for for me, it would equate to being more involved in basketball, which I've been interested in at a, at a very young age. Right, yeah. so I, I I don't I don't have that kind of sense of oh, this is the team I was on and this is how things should go. It was very much learning as I go, right? And so that really opened me up to kind of talking to everybody and kind of getting feedback on, on everyone's feelings. Um, your, your question on kind of the state of the game, it's, it, for me, it's very, very broad, right? Because I think of it a number of buckets. I guess to your point about sport growth, and, and we're here, right, in Marin at a, a place where a new pool is being built and yeah. a new team is going to start. So I've certainly seen the growth. I think when I first got into it, there was a lot of talk about how it was going the wrong way. Hmm men's programs getting eliminated, women's programs that had started maybe were dropping, there wasn't as much interest. And over time, you've seen the sport grow just from a numbers standpoint, right? And of course, I know this, but in 2008, USA Water Polo's membership is like 26,000, and this past year, it's over 50 for, wow. for, the, for the first time ever, right? So that's just one small sample. Then you have college programs like this one, you know, since 2015, right? There's been 15 or 20 different programs at various levels that have signed on. Uh, college uh, high school water polo is 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 growing every year if you look at like national stats so from an overall interest and growth standpoint you have numbers that show yes it is growing but then at the same time you can also feel like you haven't made any progress yeah because you inherently compare yourself to other things other sports right so we're in sports you look at other sports and you don't always see the growth that maybe you think the game deserves and so that can certainly be be frustrating because there are some days where you feel like there's a lot of wins earned and there's other days where you feel like there's still so much work to be done. Yeah. And when you say a lot of work to be done, you mainly is one of your points, like in terms of like you were saying earlier uh, off before we started recording, like the geographical area, you know, like and trying to grow it that way. Sure. That's, that's definitely a way to go with it. Um, you see areas that are on the cusp of a big expansion, Texas, for example, right with their, their high school water polo pilot program, uh, coming soon. Florida is, is big in potential for growth, Georgia, New England, the yeah. Midwest, right? Pacific Northwest. These are all areas that have pockets, but can really expand. There's really great potential there for more, even areas of California. There, it, it hasn't reached max saturation, right? Even yeah. though that's kind of a yeah. feeling that water polo is so California. There are still many areas where where the sport could grow. Central Valley up here, yeah, all over. Yeah, no. As as you go north of Nevada, where we are right now, Marin County, Petaluma, you know, we were talking about earlier. You know, there's not any high schools that I saw that have water polo. Sure. They have swim teams, yeah, but they don't have water polo. So there's still a lot of room for growth. Um, and so, you know, I mean, we've done some broadcasts together. Yeah. You know, CIF semis and thing, Pac-12 stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the last on the list, but, but I get a call every now and then. Um, <laughs> I've been there. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, what do you see as a hurdle in terms of broadcasting water polo from your perspective? What, what do you think is good? What do you think is bad about just the overall broadcasting part of it? How much uh, space you have in your memory card? <laughs> uh, so there's, there's a couple of things. I think the first thing that comes to mind, and this is not even a broadcasting thing so much as just a fan experience thing. I always joke at the Olympic Games every year, some veteran sports writer shows up to cover the one water polo game they're going to cover, right? Whether it's Bob Ryan or Jack McCollum or, or these people that have covered everything. Yeah. NBA, they, finals, NBA Super finals, Super Bowls. Yeah. And they all need a primer in what is happening. Yeah. Right? So they can't walk in and inherently understand it. They know put the ball in the net and the person who does those the most wins. But for me, the biggest issue with it is that people have to quickly understand all the rules and that can be challenging sometimes. Yeah. It's most of the whistles. Water polo has some things that are illogical when you think about other sports. Yeah. 
for one, fouling can be to your benefit, which is just a thing that kind of goes against what you know about yeah. fouls in every other sport. Someone's on a counterattack, foul that person, stop it, so that our defense has a chance to set up. Yeah. In any other sport, you do that, and then there's an adverse effect unless you have no other options. Yeah, it's punitive if you do it in basketball and like a, a free, I can't remember what it's called, but a free lane. Sure, or, like a, yeah, like a, a clear path Clear foul, path, right? that's what it is. Someone's on their way, right? In water polo, you do that. That's, that's, like a, that's a smart strategy. Yeah. So there's that, you know, and then there's not an accumulation of all of those whistles, right? So um, that's just a general water polo thing. And I know steps have been taken and, and you've probably heard a lot about new, new FINA rules and that's yeah. trickled down or new USA water polo rules designed to kind of free up some of that movement and kind of make it a little bit less of a, a grabby holding game. And so I think that's a step in the right direction, right? Where there's less, you know, people use the example all the time. Imagine you watch an NBA game and every time LeBron tried to turn the corner, someone could just hang on to him yeah. and then he had to stop and pass the basketball back. And there was no penalty for that person that stopped this amazing athlete from turning the corner and driving down the lane, right? Yeah. So that's... Um, that's a really, really good point. <laughs> it's, right, we're, we're taking some of our very best athletes and we're taking them out of the game a bit, but it's no fault to the defense because that's how it's set up to operate. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's just where it is right now. And you can see there's, there's, there's moves being made to chip away at that. And I think there's still more work to be done in that area. Now, purists might say, hey, it's fine the way it is. And I, and I understand that too. But I'm in the interest of having more people watch this. Yeah. And so that's one thought that comes to mind. The other is you have a sport played in water. You know enough about streaming and video cameras and things of that nature that it's come a long way. But there are just some issues baked into recording and airing live sports in water with splashing. It's different than swimming where they're just going straight and there's less movement on the water's edge, yeah. right? The water can get pixelated. It can be hard to pick up people depending on where the cameras are located. Um, there's a lot of activity under the water that for various reasons can't be shown live, right? We have things like suit exposure, that sort of stuff. So you can't go live to those cameras. Mm -hmm. So then you don't have the benefit of showing some of the most physical parts of the game. Uh, you know, there'd be violations of FCC rules and that sort yeah. of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. If, you, if you went to that over and over again. So those are a few of the the issues that are there because I'm in agreement with so many others, right? It is the most physically demanding sport that you'll see. It is one that when people do watch it, when they do see it, they tend to really enjoy it. Yeah. I've not come across a person who has seen it and said, that was stupid. That was yeah. terrible. Yeah. Maybe they, it takes them a minute to learn the rules, but they really enjoy it. But you're talking like live, live in a live setting. Correct. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's kind of just a general viewing the game. And then from a, from a television standpoint or just getting the game broadcast. And I talk to people a lot about this because uh, it comes up often where people will see something like cornhole on television <laughs> and say, why is cornhole yeah. on ESPN and water polo is not? Why is poker? Why is this thing? Yeah. And my simple answer is things that are on TV, that are on TV are things that get watched. Yeah. And it is simple as that. And I, and I know that people don't want to hear that. Yeah. And typically the person that's asking me about that is the, is the water polo diehard, right? So they're the one who's already dialed in. Yeah. They're watching the webcast. They're watching all of these things. The issue we run into now is that the water polo that is being broadcast, whether it is on Pac-12 Network, whether it is on ESPNU, whether it's the USA water polo broadcast, it's not being watched. Yeah. It's not being watched anywhere near the amount of uh, viewership it needs to then push it to get further coverage. Yeah, 100 concurrent users is not going to do it. No, no, and neither is, honestly, 7,000. It's yeah. going to take a lot more than that. A really, really good water polo match, the national team, let's say it's on Facebook or YouTube, combined maybe gets 10,000 views. Yeah. That's criminal, Yeah, right? For the yeah. level of water polo, for, for the U.S. team, for a free broadcast, right, there are literally no hurdles to access that, assuming you have internet access. Yes, yeah, which most people do at this point. There's nothing standing in your way. Um, and so that has a domino effect, right? Because if those games, hypothetically, were, were getting crazy amounts of viewership, then you could turn around and say to someone like an ESPN, hey, look at what this is doing. Yeah. Just organically. Yeah. Look at what you could do with a much bigger reach. Now, in fairness, and, and this often comes up with women's basketball, where there's an argument that well, the big networks can decide what's important, right? So if you wanted to make it an important thing, you could. Like if ESPN decided 
we're going to show 20 water polo games mm-hmm. a year because we're just going to give it to push you. the sport we're just going to push it and we're going to put all of our muscle behind it and yeah. drive it forward you're seeing that with the xfl right now that's getting major network coverage yeah. right that's on fox on espn um i'd be curious to see what that would ha- you know how that would go the the problem is is that because it's such an outlier sport among other sports there's no data to to suggest that it will be successful yeah and then the other caveat to that for a cornhole sort of thing, you'll notice if you watch that, I believe it's like Johnsonville brats is on all over the thing, right? Is that a lot of times... They, they eat a lot of brats. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna it's, do? it's a bratwurst heavy sport. <laughs> uh, is that those companies will help offset some of the cost. Yeah. You know, and so there's other ways that it can happen. Um, and that's something that would benefit water polo. But at the, at the end of the day those that love it really need to watch it because that will only help its growth elsewhere. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, two things I want to add to what you're saying. Number one, I I told you earlier, I'm going to take credit for calling you the voice of water polo. Okay. So anybody wants to just, okay. okay. And the second thing I'll take credit for, because I remember saying this, um, you know, I, I tried to finance a bunch of semifinal games early on. We're talking 08, 09 type. Um, is telling everybody, put it on and leave it if you want to. I don't care. It just stream the thing so you get the views and the, you know. Um, but going back to the technical part about streaming a water polo game, I think a lot of people don't understand. You know, I just want to go back to that piece sure. because this, this question happens a lot. You see it a lot. They say, this stream is terrible. This stream is terrible. And, and let me just explain to the audience, and you could back me up on this. The camera does not know that the floor is moving. The water is moving and it thinks it's a floor. So it takes more data to interpret that moving floor, which ends up making it pixelated, which ends up making it not watchable Mm -hmm. at some point. Now, when you look at the Olympic Games, that's why the Olympics have to be done in an indoor facility, you know, and not, not just because of broadcasting, but that's one piece to it. The lighting is spectacular, the cameras are spectacular, and that's why that doesn't happen in those situations. But I think the other thing that I, and I don't know how you feel about this, is I think sometimes, and and I don't know if this, it's not a USA water polo thing, I think it's just people trying to promote the streaming of water polo. Sometimes they just like, we'll, we'll stream like 10 games straight. And it's like, okay, I don't think anybody's gonna watch 10 games straight. You know, and so it's like, is there any sense to just say, okay, we're going to just do this one game or is that not cost effective for like the free streams that you guys are doing on Facebook Live or YouTube? Well, a couple of things. So to your point about multiple games, typically once the gear is set up, you're you're paying a similar price if you do two or six. Gotcha. So if they're there, might as well show it all. And it's interesting and we can come back to this later, but this happens a lot. People... um, and I'm guilty of this too, you make excuses for things in water polo that you wouldn't do for other areas of things you're interested in, right? So NBA Summer League, they'll run those games back to back to back. People are watching them and no one ever says, why not just pick the one where we know Zion Williamson is going to be playing, right? But because we're trying to crack the code here, we're, we're kind of, you know, throwing out things that we wouldn't do in something else that we were as equally as passionate about, yeah. right? But it happens a lot. To your point about the the technology, yeah. So there are issues with that. Um, there's also issues with what sort of device are you watching it on? What sort of device is it being encoded on? Yeah. What's the internet connection at the venue? What's the internet connection that you're getting it from? Yeah, are there I've many been, other users on that internet, yeah. right? You've been through that. I've encountered the, that. I mean, it's not know? easy. It's not, and it's frustrating. It's yeah. really hard. Then there's also the quality of the broadcast you put together. So if you watch a lot of USA Water Polo streams, it's almost always three cameras. There are replays. There are score graphics. We're yeah. showing you the clock. Some people will say, just stream it. Just can you just get a camera out there? <laughs> just hook a camera to a laptop and just go. Yeah. Right? I, I personally, that's not for me. Now, having come up kind of more the more the TV route and yeah. you know, having been drilled into my head what's kind of a broadcast standard and and what's something that would, and this is like an old term, but make air versus yeah. what wouldn't. Uh, it's very hard for me to just say, yeah, just put a camera on a tripod. One person just pan it back and forth and yeah. you'll figure it out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there won't be a scoreboard. And I don't know, maybe we'll show, we'll pan to the scoreboard every now and again. No knock places that do that, right? I know a lot of people, that's how they get their high school coverage, their yeah. club coverage. Yeah. That's great. You're you're but helping out But that's not a national audience. thing. That's not that's Correct. not for the national team. No, I mean that's not for yeah. the upper level stuff. Yeah. So I'd rather do it to a certain quality or not do it at all. Yeah, no, for um, sure. And and where we try and meet in the middle is on cost, right? Like we know what could happen with an unlimited budget. We could we could make these things really sing, right? We kind of made a decision years ago to say let's try and find that sweet spot. Let's let's try and do as many games as we can at a certain quality level as opposed to saying just four yeah. where we where we really blow it out. Because at least my thought was like this game needs more exposure. People need to see it more regularly. You need to be able to go back and watch some games. And how are you going to build any continuity or any fandom if you only, for example, saw Tony Azevedo four times a year yeah. as opposed to maybe he played 12 games at home that given yeah. year. And it's easier to get hyped, you know, because you could, you could make the comparison with swimming it's like, well, I'm not watching swimming all year round, but then when it comes on the Olympics, I'm I'm glued to the TV. But it's different when it's a one minute race or a fifty second race sure. or a twenty second race. You're it's like track and field. Like I don't watch track and field at all, but on the Olympics, I'm I'm gonna watch it and I I kinda get invested because it's it's quick. It's sort yeah. of junk food uh, yeah. for for the brain, you know. Whereas with water polo, it it takes effort, you know, to to watch it. And I, I think you're right about, you know, you know, I had a really interesting conversation with James Graham from UOP about, you know, the whistles, but he put it in the context of um, of the uh, advantage rule and how a foul or a kickout is not a kickout every single time. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, he was holding onto the ball or, oh, well, I wanted to see if he could finish or whatever it is. And I think that makes things really, really difficult. You encounter that a little bit in basketball, but it's a little bit more clear cut. I mean, yes, you're going to get arguing, but a foul's a foul, and I think it's pretty easy to call it consistently. Water polo seems to have that issue all the time. And from your from the broadcasting perspective, is it difficult to follow that, or like because you have to kind of be neutral? But are you ever like in a situation now that you know the game so well, you're like what's going on here? Like, this is not spectator friendly at all. So I am very, very leery of ever uh, being critical of officials because <laughs> I think it's a, it's a very, very hard job, especially water polo. Yeah. Uh, you are often officiating the unknown, right? What happened? I didn't, I didn't see the events. It's almost like you're doing a crime scene investigation on the spot, right? Yeah. And you have to piece together like what happened, but there's no time to go back and analyze the data or the evidence. Yeah. It's just, did that person kick that person? And then was that part of this? And this led to that. So you're trying to piece it together in the moment and, and call it. And so um, I can probably think, you know, over, over all the water pool games I've done, maybe a handful of times where I've, where I've wondered about a call or a thought Oh, maybe that was not the right way to, to go with it. But I, but I almost always try and give them the benefit of the doubt because I don't want it to be about that. I, I'm always leery when you go into a water polo game and, and so many coaches and fans do this where it's like, who are the officials? <laughs> we got this guy, this guy again. Remember him? Remember that guy three years ago? Yeah. He called this and then that happened. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh my goodness. And, and that's, that's, Part of it being right a smaller community and everyone knowing everybody, right? <laughs> That's so funny because that that literally happens all the time. It's it's constant, right? Everyone is well aware of when I was ten and under that guy. <laughs> yeah, this guy, you know, he took the CIF away from us five yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and maybe that some of that is true. I don't know. Yeah, no, no. But but I try and go into it with a blank slate. I try and. Th assume the best of everyone that's there yeah. that they're not there carrying some vendetta to to uh you know wrong one of the teams or something like yeah. that um and so so you see if you've been able to see consistency between you know games in terms of like you know how you're seeing the game like you see some consistency i i do but i also i think i try and look for that i try and make it about the people that are playing yeah and so i could sit there and say Man, what is, what is what is happening with these referees? I'm not blind, right? I see some things where I'm like, oh, I bet if that you know person could call it again, they might call it differently. But for me, it's about the people who are playing. So let's 
let's talk about them. Let's yeah. keep it on them and and make it about something that was interesting. Now, if it becomes, you know, such a such a storyline, you can't ignore it, right? And everyone is going, you know, berserk, and then you have to talk about it in some fashion. Okay, well, clearly, you know, this 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 had happened or that had happened, and that led to people talking yeah. about it more. Um, that's one thing, but. Otherwise, uh, you know, I think you do a little bit of a disservice to the players that are playing. And honestly, nobody really, in my opinion, wants to hear my opinion about yeah. officiating. I'm not a ref. So yeah. what am I going to lend to it more than just what's going on? What, what I would like, and this is hard to do. You can't always have this in water polo, but it, it has really taken off uh, in, in – and sorry to reference basketball a lot, but I, I'm involved in that too – is – Referees will come over and explain to the to the broadcast team what's happening. Yeah, I've noticed that. So, um, a foul's called. They're gonna go review something. Maybe it was a it was a confusing series mm-hmm. of events. They'll walk over and say, "Hey, uh, you know, just a heads up. This is what happened. It's a potential uh, flagrant foul. We're gonna we're gonna review. We're gonna look at it." Okay, here's what we came to. It's going to be this team's ball, that sort of thing. That, that happens a bit in water polo. Sometimes I can flag down a referee and yeah. say, hey, what went on yeah. there? Because the fan at home doesn't know. I'd love to give the most accurate description of what happened. The official saw this, then they did this, and then this, yeah. right? Um, and So, so they, they could you could do that with like the PA announcer, too. Sure. You can go over to, you know, I throwing a name out, Mark Cousineau, yeah. you know, and just say, hey, this is what's going on. Because a lot of times the people who are at home wondering what's happening, yeah. the same, the people in the, in the stands. stands are wondering what happened too. That, yeah. that is actually a really good suggestion. I, would, I, mean, I, I mean, you know, and it's, and, and maybe it would have to be something that would be debated among officials and passed down as like yeah. a... That sounds like, like a high level. You know, we're talking sure. NC2A championships. Correct. We're talking, you know, USA events. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. not talking, you know, league games. You know, we're, we're talking like the high level stuff where it's like, you know, people are paying to go and watch sure. the high-level stuff. And maybe in some cases, you know, maybe that only gets people more angry, but maybe in some cases it mitigates some of the, the feelings if someone is saying, look, this is what – it's it's a human uh, element officiating, right? Yeah. There, or there's a very human element to it, like all of us, right? So it, I think if you had a chance sometimes to explain what was going on, it was a quick play, here's what we saw, maybe that's more beneficial. I, I know I find it helpful in other sports. Think about football, right? They get to turn on the – the uh, PA and yeah. the ref right there tells you exactly what happened. Yeah. 57 yeah. illegal hands to the face. We're going to move it back five yards. This is what we're going to do. That sort of stuff. Yeah. So, and you've seen the officiating advantages um, or advances rather. They wear the headsets now yeah. at the high level. They can talk to each other. That has cut out the long walks, right? Yeah. Where they used to have to come around the pool and meet and all that stuff. So yeah. uh, it's, it's all trending in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think things are going definitely moving in the right di- direction. I think, Technology is still catching up to sure. a certain extent, but so I see. I follow your social media stuff. Um, you know, Twitter. You're really active on Twitter. Uh, I think we both are. But yeah. um, you know, I noticed that you're you're doing basketball games. I've seen you do some soccer games. Um, obviously, water polo, um, football. You've done some football games, yeah. Um, and you've done you've worked. You're working for ESPN. You're working for Pac-12 Network. Um, you know, obviously USA Water Polo, USA Water Polo TV. And I, I'm assuming you've been integral in starting that whole sort of channel and social media, um, you know, exposure. Um, do you see more viewership coming in the next you know three or four years? Do you think that's things are trending in that direction and to f- the, the second part of that question is, you know, what would be your dream water polo gig um, in terms of broadcasting? Where, where do you want to be over the next couple of years? Yeah. Um, so I think I, I can guess, but yeah, but, <laughs> but go ahead. Well, so so I guess I guess for the first part. Yeah. I mean, we've seen everything kind of turn in the right direction, you know, from starting the USA water polo video efforts and social media from scratch. You know, I remember when we had a thousand fans on Facebook, you know, and now there's 109,000 or whatever it is. Um, Same for Instagram and and Twitter and all of that. And then rolling in video efforts. And um, it's a credit to the, you know, the staff at USA water polo. Uh, You know, Chris Ramsey has been there as long as uh, anyone on the staff for kind of seeing that early on the positives of a video and social media and pushing that forward, mm-hmm. uh, I think USA Water Polo was was out early in a lot of stuff. If you 
compare other national governing bodies of a similar size. When you're talking about uh, all, all of that stuff and that leads into the streaming, um, the counterattack, which, which we do every week, uh, a lot of it is consistency. And so the counterattack, it's funny, we're at some ungodly number, like yeah. episode 230 or something, yeah. right? So it's years you're and years You're reaching uh, Sesame Street numbers. We are. We are. It's brought to you by, uh, you know, J and the letter uh, whatever, number number seven. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on my, uh, my uh, Sesame Street. I'm not. I have good yeah, little kids. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, I can't help but think there's a classic Dave Chappelle bit about everyone, you know. <laughs> Hey, Bird, right? Yeah. Snuffy and Bird there. Well, I can tell you, Sesame Street yeah. has like 5,000 episodes, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, pretty yeah. insane. Um, but it took a long time before, and that and that show does not get insane viewership, yeah. but, and it's funny, John Abdu reminds me of this a lot, like, what are you comparing yourself against? You know, and I, I like think about, you know, things that just have much bigger platforms, and I'm like, why doesn't this stuff get, get that level of viewership? Yeah. And he's like, you have to remember sometimes, like, for for the world you're in, this stuff is doing very well. Yeah, yeah, you know, for yeah. the world of water polo, for aquatics, this is this is stuff that is making a big impact. Yeah. So I'm trying to remind myself of that, you know, and not get too crazed about about where it's where it's not, and focus more on where it is. Um, but it took more than a year of doing that every Wednesday before we started to really feel like people noticed it was even happening. Yeah, and so it takes a long time for stuff to start to really, you know, pick up. I mean, you're joking about the voice of water polo, right? It's like I was doing games for a long time before yeah. anyone ever really, at least to me, talked about it in that sense of like, oh, you do a lot of the games. Yeah, it's like, like connected you, know, you with the game. Correct. Yeah. And it's, well, yeah, I've been doing them a long time, right? Yeah. But it takes it takes time to build up to that. So um, th there is something to be said for staying the course, right? And, and everything is kind of going in that right direction. We do more and more stuff every year. I think we do it at a higher level every year. Yeah. It gets better every year. So um, I've seen that stuff, you know, trend positively. As for the second part of your question, I mean, and I get asked this question a lot, the Olympics, right? I'm obviously not in charge. So um, I'd, I'd be happy to do it. There are very talented people that do it and yeah. done in the past and will do it in the future. Uh, ready to do it if asked. But, yeah. you know, beyond that, right, it's like it's kind of out of, out of my hands a bit uh, to put it to put it. Uh, Mildly, right? It's it's 100 percent out of my hands. Right? Yeah. Like I can, I can state my interest, and and that's about it, right? Um, I've done everything else, and that's an NBC thing. Correct. So yeah. NBC will be the one who decides. Correct. USA yeah. Water Polo has no say at no, all in that. No, this is uh, much like the other stuff, um, Pac-12 or Big Ten, or yeah. you know those those networks decide. And so, um, been fortunate to do. And, and I've done some water polo for, for kind of the NBC group. I did world championships this summer, uh, a few games from, from South Korea. So anyone that has done water polo, I'm talking about a network level in the U.S., I, I've had some involvement with it. Yeah. Um, it's as far as the, the dream job, as far as that goes, it's just more of it, right? And that's where you kind of circle back to the growth of water polo. If there was more interest in water polo, there'd be more games on TV. Yeah. And then I'd do more games on yeah. TV, right? So um, it, it comes back to people watching it and supporting it, right? And not because, you know, way down on the list is me announcing the game, right? Like, that's fun for me. That's, yeah. you know, that doesn't benefit a whole lot of other people. But um, that would be a nice byproduct of the sport growing in general, is I'd, ha I'd have a lot of fun announcing more of the game. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I you know it's 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 been fun to do what's been done already, and there's obviously like we talked about potential has been our kind of our buzzword, right? There's the potential to do a lot more, um, and and at least as far as I'm concerned, right, trying to do everything we can to kind of push the needle in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, obviously, <clears throat> I I know you have worked with NBC for the Winter Games. Yeah, right? so I did. Well, I did, I did uh, radio for the uh, Pyeongchang Games. Okay. Uh, so that's NBC Radio, Westwood One Sports. Okay, Westwood One, okay. Um, but at the Olympics, Westwood One and N NBC work, work together on okay. the radio front. So, but you did a couple, didn't you do a couple like on-camera interviews? Uh, I did not on camera at their, at those Olympics. I, I mean, I think there was photos circulating, that okay. sort of stuff, um, but it was all audio. Gotcha, but, gotcha, But I got a chance gotcha. to talk to some of the, some of the bigger performers. Um, and then I've since done some winter sports for Olympic Channel and like NBC Sports Network, 
more in the like cross country skiing, ski yeah. jumping, that that realm. And so right now, you, I mean, obviously USA Water Polo is you know your your staple um, job, but you have, uh, I see that you're doing basketball games, mm-hmm. and so are you doing that? Obviously, seasonally, like you're just like the home. Uh, you do the home home game broadcast. Correct. Yeah. So Manhattan College. Um, you know, originally from the East Coast, right? So I kind of have kept up with, with people there. I have a lot of family out that way. And um, they've been nice enough to have me do their home broadcasts. Uh, they only do home games on the ESPN platforms. So ESPN3, ESPN+. Plus. Um, it's, it's been a passion since I was 12 years old. And yeah. that's, that's kind of what I, what I have fun with. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So we are in an Olympic year. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you're going to Tokyo. Uh, that's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> and so... This may be kind of abstract, but you know, you, you get to interact with the players, you know, I would assume quite often, um, and you're helping coordinate media stuff with them, and and you know, the athletes kind of giving them exposure, individual exposure. Um, so it's sort of two parts to this question. One is, uh, do you see the potential for a water polo athlete to be nationally recognized and endorsed for, you know, what they're able to do in the water. And, and a lot of them are high academic as well. So kind of like a, you know, like a really good role model. So do you see things trending maybe in, in that direction? That's, that's one piece. And then the other piece is as you're getting to know these athletes, I'm sure you're seeing some of them, you know, make the team. And then maybe you're seeing some of them not make the team, do you ever, are you ever like just in the middle or like in the room where things like that are happening? And if you are, what, what is that like? Um, so for the first part, certainly I think you're seeing people that are able to kind of build their own following. If you look back a couple of years ago, I would say for the men, it was Tony Azevedo and for Mm -hmm. the women, it was Brenda Villa, right? As far as the people that were associated with water polo in the U S if you go back even further, Terry Schroeder in the 80s, Maureen O'Toole for the women in the yeah. in the 80s and 90s and, and into that 2000 Olympic Games. In this era, Maggie Steffens, Ashley Johnson for, for the women. For the men, a lot of guys, I think, with an opportunity to kind of be that guy, mm-hmm. right, or try and push forward or be one of those guys. The women have been benefited by having a lot of success, right? And so those women have been part of those championships and winning streaks, right? The guys are kind of working on getting back to the podium, mm-hmm. Not kind of. They're definitely working on getting back yeah. to the podium. Um, then there's another element to it, and it's kind of the promotion around the coverage of the games from Team USA and from NBC and all of those folks. And so going forward, you'll certainly see a lot of Maggie, Ashley. You'll see a lot of Johnny Hooper leading up into the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other men's athletes, returning Olympians, tend to always get kind of that extra push as opposed to a newcomer. Yeah. It's hard to know who the who the rising stars will always be yeah. in sports that aren't covered as aggressively as some of the the more the more mainstream sports, but yeah, that that's certainly the hope, right? You know, I think you want to be fair, and it's a team sport, and so you try and treat everyone equally, and yeah. you try and make sure that everyone gets their chance. But you also know, you know, that sometimes uh, there's that phrase, right? A high tide lifts all ships, right? And so if there can be the person or the persons that everyone knows, that will bring everyone up. So, for example, if everyone knows Maggie or Ashley and they get to such a high, high, high level, yeah. just by the sheer force, that will, that will bring along a Maddie Musselman and that yeah. will bring along a Mackenzie and Aria Fisher, yeah, right? Yeah. Not that they can't do things on their own, but that's, that tends to be how it works on some of the Olympic sports, yeah. right? Michael Phelps in Beijing needs to win that one relay to win the gold medal. Now, no matter how you slice it, that Jason Lezak closing lap is going to be an all-time great moment, but it is more magnified because of what it meant Absolutely. to Michael Phelps' pursuit, right? There's Jason just, was a high school teammate, just so you know. There you yeah. go, right? <laughs> and he played water polo, that, just so you know. That You can put that on right now. That still gives me chills oh watching that race. It is still one of, the, one of the coolest moments oh of all gosh. time in the Olympics. Uh, absolutely. And, and this is nothing, nothing to take away from him, right? But what made that so much bigger Right, why people that follow swimming and maybe the Olympics in general will always remember his name yeah. is not because part of it's because he tracked down the other 
swimmer and won the relay, but that's happened before. Yeah. yeah. What's so big about it is that he kept the dream alive yeah. for eight gold medals for Michael Phelps, right? Yeah. And so just by the force of Phelps, he lifts Jason Lezak yeah. up, right? And the same thing uh, can happen in water polo. But the first part of that, right, is somebody kind of rising up on their own. And I think you're going to see more and more stuff from, from those three athletes and more. And then if there's success at the Olympics for either side, the men and the women, that always helps elevate. You know, yeah. a, a return to the podium for the men, a third straight gold for the women. Those are, those are important things, and those can help really lift up people. It could be something we don't know, right? It could be, you know, an unknown, right? Hannes Delbe. I was going to say, someone like <laughs> Hannes, right, who's, who's emerging, right? And, you yeah. know, teams haven't been named yet, but he's right there fighting for a spot yeah. with everyone else. If you were to make it and have a great games, you know, who knows? That's somebody that could be involved for many Olympics to come. It's yeah. Kinda, and, I, yeah. and not to interrupt, but, sure. you know, I see this crossroads right now in society, having been at Orange Lutheran, you know, with the expectations of like, hey, if my kid doesn't get into Harvard, then, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to be upset type thing. Those expectations. Here you have these athletes who are so high level and so high achieving in academics and athletics it's almost like the intersection of like the perfect role model. You know what I mean? Like Ashley Johnson, like Princeton graduate, like playing on the Olympic team, you know, and a woman of color who is going against the norm sure. basically for the entire sport, um, bringing in a whole new like area of, you know, an area into the sport, which I think is, it's obviously amazing. You know, Brenda Villa did that mm -hmm. as well, you know, when she was, uh, in the Olympics. And so it's like, I think like you're saying, it's like, we need that one moment, the Jason Lezak moment. We need that one moment. That's going to like lift everybody up. It's like, but it circles back to, to, uh, more people being interested in the game, right? Because that could, that moment can only sustain itself for so long. If there's not additional interest in the sport itself, like how do we, how do we, um, capitalize right? on the moment if because, it happens. Yeah, because you have that moment, right? For example, Maggie's had these great moments, right? And and I'd argue she's, you know, never been more popular than she is today, right? Yeah. But there's still a ways to go <clears throat> to get to say a Kerry Walsh level, right? Yeah. If, if you want to compare her with beach volleyball. Yeah. Um, you know, someone in that in that range, right, as she wins all these accolades. So that's that's the challenge is that she'll do her thing, you know, on the international side of it. And then what would help sustain that interest is if more and more people were into the game of water polo, whether they played it or they watched it. The other thing to circle back to your point about the academic, uh, academics and the success, the one catch, and this is like a bummer for some people, and uh, there's a reason why Johnny and Ashley uh, and Maggie to an extent are going to get a little bit more of a push this year is because um, it's not always about the things that you would think it's about. And what I mean by that is you might say to yourself, well, um, this woman's team has won all these gold medals. They've won 69 straight games in a row. Uh, this one player on this team, they're a Stanford grad. They have a 4.0 GPA. They won Waterpool's version of the Heisman. Um, they should be all over the place. And it's like, not enough. Because what many in uh, media and news want is a more compelling story. And so why... Someone like Ashley is able to rise up is to your point, right? She brings much needed diversity to water polo. It's largely a very Caucasian sport, mm -hmm. right? She being a trailblazer in women's water polo, right? First African-American woman to ever represent the U.S. in women's water polo at the Olympic level. Then you add in that her and her sister are trying to do things in the community, right? Teach kids how to swim. Then you add in the other wrinkles, right? went to Princeton when everyone seems to go to a California school. And then on top of all of that, she's really, really good, right? So like the foundation is that she's really, really good. Yeah. That like gets her in, in the door to this party, yeah. right? Yeah. But then you add in all these other elements and now it makes it more engaging, right? That's where you're going to see, you've probably already seen some features on her. You're going to see a lot more. Johnny Hooper uh, going to potentially, right? Again, roster's not named, but if it works out for him, going to an Olympic Games in Tokyo, he's half Japanese on his mother's side, right? That is a now a more compelling storyline mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if the games were in Brazil, Yeah, right? Tony yeah. Azevedo, born in Brazil. That led to more interest in him going to the Rio games as yeah. opposed to when it was in London, right? Yeah. So you have to think about these other little elements that make the story interesting because 
If you're just talking championships and you're just talking gold medals, there's somebody who right now is doing something that is more interesting to the general public than water polo. Yeah. So if you're talking about most dominant women's national teams, well, the USA basketball women's national team has ripped off every gold medal, I think, since 96, right? Yeah. They're, they're almost unstoppable, right? And they have players that, that play in a league that's more well-known. Yeah. They have more well-known stars, yeah. right? So that, I think, is sometimes like a tough pill to swallow because uh, it, it, it does not equate to where our brain normally goes, where I work really hard, I do all the right things. Why isn't there the requisite attention and respect and that's not always how it works when you're talking about yeah. media coverage. Well, and you, it's so funny that you're saying this because every coach that's listening to this is going to take exactly what you just said and apply it to their players. And what that is is you can show up to practice every single day. You could work your butt off every single day. You could say and do all the right things, and you still may not get a minute in this game. You may go show up to every single class and not get an A in math. That's the way it is. And this is a reality check. And I think this is what is so beneficial about having you on the podcast to have this perspective, because guess what? You know, you need a story to sell the American public, no matter how you and and every sport does it. There's just more stories when you have like in the NBA, you have hundreds of players. And so you can find that unique story and you can bring it to the forefront of that team. We're such a small sport that it's harder to find stories like that because, as you said, water polo is a little bit more affluent. You know, it's a little bit more Caucasian. Sure. You know, it, it, it's a little bit more educated. There's there's higher education in most aquatic sports. Most people who are doing water polo and swimming know they're not going to be professionals. And so they're focused on other things. So, um you know, I think it's when I see like in, when I see an NFL player or an NBA player and it's like, oh, this guy went to Harvard, you know, like people knock not to go on a, off on a you know tangent, but people knock like Jeremy Lin, for example. Sure. I'm like, dude, how could you knock a guy like that? Or Tim Tebow? You yeah. know, how could you knock a guy like that? The guy went to Harvard. He's in the NBA like, you know, but that's a compelling story. Well, and to your to your point, right? So you talked about like the NBA, for example. That is so popular, and it is so um, well covered and well attended that anybody that's part of it is already inherently a big deal. Even if you're like scratching at the outside of it, you're yeah. already important, right? So, for example, the I mean, guy they're broadcasting high school games. Correct. The guy who overcame all odds to become the 12th man on the Portland Trailblazers. That's a future story right yeah. there, right? Because, and the reason why that's important is because everyone already knows how hard it is to make the NBA. Now, on the other side of the coin, right, when you have something, and it's not just water polo, it's most Olympic sports, yeah. when it's not in the public eye as much, the story that's going to break through has to be something extra special. And that's the challenge, right, is that... If, if you're a sports fan, this is where we have like this disconnect and we're all guilty of it in water polo, right? Where if you watch other sports and you see like, you know, one plus one equals two in the NBA and in NFL coverage and in the WWE and this, why does that not, why does that math not line up here in water polo? Like this, this water polo player is just as good as this football player is at that sport. Why aren't they being treated equally? Yeah. And that's, that's the disparity because of, of the different levels of attention to the two sports. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy to think about that. So basically what you're saying is we need to pull a Millie Vanilli for this Olympic <laughs> Games and well, pretend that something crazy is happening. Yeah, it's funny. People bring it up all the time like, oh, there should be some sort of just like, you know, wild thing going on and that'll, and that'll get interest. And I'm like, you know, not all good PR or yeah. not not all PR is good PR. Yeah. The other thing, and, and I've like, this has been like a personal quest for years, but is... Uh, celebrating water polo wherever it is being played in the U.S. So nothing drives me nuts more. I was literally going to ask you this next. Then so go when, ahead. Then when, uh, and this happens all the time, uh, when on the USA Water Polo social media accounts, and it just happened this week, uh, the Idaho, Idaho High School State, State yeah, Champions, yeah. and one of the first comments, there's water polo in Idaho. Like, and that's, that's one of the more tame comments, right? Yeah. We've, we've, we've come a long way. It was for many years. I remember. Any... Any championship, this and I and I don't I don't have like the diagram or like the hierarchy, but it's out there in people's minds 
there is a system of who believes who is higher than who, right? So just for argument's sake, the way it might go is something like California is above everything else in the U.S. And then within California, Southern California might feel that it's ahead of Northern California. Mm-hmm. Northern California might feel it's ahead of Central Valley. Uh, San Diego might might have an argument with North and the Valley. You know, I'm not sure. Right? Yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah. but the kids in those areas have a feeling, right? And then you move outside of California, and let's say Illinois might cede all of their water polo to California, but they will not be told that they are worse than Pennsylvania, <laughs> right? And Pennsylvania will tell you, we know we're better than Ohio. And Ohio would say, well, we're not as bad as Tennessee, and on it goes, yeah, right? Yeah. And so... And that, again, that's not official, right? That's just like a guess yeah. at, at certain things because what we've seen repeatedly, and it's gotten better, was when you'd share a celebration, and, and people might know this, right? USA Water Polo acknowledges every high school state champion in the U.S., yeah. regardless of the level it's played at, from the Pennsylvania small school champions to CIF, Southern Section Division One, right? Yeah. And everything in between. Yeah. And uh, sometimes those photos are very hard to come by. But <laughs> um, the point of it is, People will, for years, knock those levels. So you'd post that photo and say, congratulations, and the first comments would be, they'd lose to Team X by 40 goals. Um, why do they have jammers on? That's, yeah. that's not a real team, right? Frankly, this whole thing isn't big enough for anyone to decide they're better than anyone else. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. And we're not, we're not close, yeah. right? You, you just don't see it. And I'm not trolling the, the comments for for age group basketball. And I'm sure there's some good natured trash talk in those things, but I don't get the sense there's as much of like an elitist feel Mm -hmm. of like what you're doing doesn't count. That's a shallow deep pool or this was played in this venue or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And it's just, to to me, we, we push back on it a ton and that has curbed it quite a bit, at least on the USA water polo accounts where it has circled back now to, to most folks are celebratory. Um, but it's still, it's it's for something that's trying to grow. It's like everybody has got to be rowing this boat in the same direction. Yeah, why not? You see the same thing, and it's not. This isn't just, you know, Idaho State championships. You know, th- you see this at the NC2A level. Sure. Because you get, you know, Harvard making the NC2A, and what's the first thing that everyone says? Oh, Cal should be in it this yeah. year, yeah. or you know, UC Santa Barbara should have made it this year. And it's just like, well, guys, that's the way it's set up. UCI makes the tournament because they won the Big West for basketball. If we want to even get close to that level in the tournament, you've got to be equitable. You have to let other conferences in. And, you know, I didn't pay attention to it until we talked about this. I don't even know when. It was a long time ago. But this this should be a message to every single person because that, that listens to this, player, coach, whatever it is. Because being at the community college level now um, here, you know, I've been to like three swim meets, all right? And I have people that I've seen swim, people on my team and on other teams that are so bad. You know, they're just really bad swimmers, beginner swimmers. And the attitude of community college is more of like celebrate and like let's include. Water polo is one of the few sports that I've been involved with in my life that is a cannibal. We eat each other alive. <laughs> we try to eliminate the club down the street. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy that club and all those members are going to come to me. It, 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 that's the mentality overall of our sport in a lot of ways. And I know it's, it's tough to say yes or no to this because you're like, you know, in the middle here. And, and, and I appreciate that. But I feel like we would be so much better off if we were helpful. You know, Mike Shashevsky has a coach's basketball camp. People in his conference are attending these things. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like they're sharing the knowledge. They're sharing all of it for the betterment of the sport. Um, we seem to be so closed off. Like, you know, people won't come on the podcast because it's like, I don't want to share my secrets. I don't want to share what I do. And it's like, you know, it's just weird. It's weird that we're not more open. I think it would help grow. It's interesting, and I got to give a shout out to uh, to uh, the coach development guys at USA Water Polo, John Abdu, Drew Clute. They were all just in the Midwest maybe two weeks ago, and some I saw that eighty-five plus coaches were there from all over, from St. Louis and around. 
and it was just collaborative learning and sharing of ideas. Um, but to your point, it's interesting about the NCAA tournament, and that comes up every year. Yeah. Everyone would agree, right? We want this thing to be bigger. We want we want people to be watching this. We want it to be on TV. It's like you want to have the world's biggest birthday party, but you want to keep that invite list real small. Yeah. And it can't be both. It can't. Because at the end of the day, then you'll just have those same five people at your birthday every year. Yeah. You know, and 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 if and if you're a person that wants to have a bigger uh, party, then you're gonna need to open it up. Again, it it just goes back to the way other sports operate, right? Where you have that parity. We want to see the sport grow. If you limited it to only these certain number of teams, then what would be the incentive for anyone else to ever try and start a program? Mount St. Mary's just added men's and women's water polo. Big deal in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Biola did too. Biola, right? A yeah. bunch of programs. We could, we could rattle off 10 yeah. to 20. If you told those teams, especially the ones that were getting into the, to the Division One, Two, Three level, you can add but know that the chances of you ever making the NCAA championship are, are less than slim. Yeah. Why would they want to do it? Yeah. Everyone's in this to win at some level, right? In addition to everything else that comes with being a student athlete. So um, I, I've always been a big proponent and, and we do a ton on kind of highlighting the growth of the game, new college programs, you know, main reason why I'm here today. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that sort of stuff, because that's going to be what's healthiest going yeah. forward. Yeah. And, and I, I do, and, yeah. And I do think that USA Water Polo is making a concerted effort to create the education program. Drew and I have had multiple conversations. I've asked him to be on the podcast. He's accepted to talk about coaches' education. Sure. Um, and Abdu obviously has been on, and he's he's also very like a big proponent of it. And I don't knock that at all. I was more referring to the coach collaboration amongst ourselves. Yeah. We are enemies. And I, I don't care what anybody says. If, if they say otherwise, they're lying. Okay, <laughs> we're enemies. We respect each other, but there's some element of, you know. And so I think, especially in Orange County, that's a difficult place. But um, anyways, I wanted to get to a couple more sure. questions yeah. um, if I could. So who have been your biggest influences in terms of, you know, the industry that you want to be in um, broadcasting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a number of people. Um, grew up watching the New York Knicks, still a lifelong Knicks fan, and as, as frustrating as that has been uh, lately, uh, but their TV voice for years was Marv Albert, who I think many consider one of the best in basketball. And so watching him as an announcer, um, watching a lot of the early New York Mets broadcasts, uh, grew up watching them a lot. Um, and also, you know, it goes hand in hand with being a terrible athlete, you know, so <laughs> this worked out well where yeah. it's like, if you want to be part of sports, but you can't, you're not good enough to be in the pool or on the court, this was a great way to stay involved. Yeah. So I think watching those folks, um, early on kind of gave me the idea that this is be something that would be cool as far as like the, you know, like the media relations, that's uh, side of it. Um, you know, a lot of that is a little like trial by error trial yeah. by fire, I yeah. guess, uh, yeah. to, to uh, explain that. But then uh, a guy I worked for at Wagner College, Todd Vodder, he was the guy who ran the sports information department, and Ben Shove worked with him as well. Um, ben works at the Northeast Conference now. Those guys were just hard workers and uh, fun to work for, and they kind of set the tone of you know how you do things in that, in that business. They were just... Um, Anytime you work for somebody that routinely outworks you, that's kind of inspiring that yeah. you want to try and like stay on their level. Yeah. And so that was a good start. Um, and then I just had a bunch of different jobs. I did a bunch of different internships and I had different experiences working, um, you know, I interned for a pro football team and interned like at different TV networks and got around people that were doing things at a very high level. Yeah. So yeah. that was invaluable experience, you know, to intern in college for the New York Giants for for uh, CBS, for ABC, and for another station, those are on the New York market. So if you're if you're working in that business, that was the finish line. Yeah, everyone aspired to be there. So anyone who was there was doing it at, at the highest level. Yeah. Um, and so to see kind of the the work ethic and you know what was needed to be successful, that was very helpful at kind of kind of a young age, right? To know what was needed. Um, and then as I've gotten deeper into the broadcasting world. Um, a bunch of people have been helpful and supportive and, 
you know, offer feedback. Um, Jim Watson, who does a bunch of Pac-12 NBC mm. work, he's uh, a guy that could, you know, call uh, anything, yeah. you know, uh, flipping over half-empty water bottles and make it sound interesting, yeah. right? Uh, he does a great job. Uh, Doc Emmerich, a longtime NHL announcer who did the Olympics in 2012. Ian Eagle, who does a bunch of stuff uh, for CBS and TNT and the voice of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, those are just a couple of guys that kind of come to mind from the broadcaster side of things that have uh, been helpful as mentors, listen to stuff, watch stuff, bounce questions off. How about this? How about that? Um, I'm sure I'm leaving people out because yeah. there have been many that over the years, you know, whenever I've worked with somebody or been around somebody um, that, you know, was, was kind of fun to work with and, and seemed really professional, I've always tried to kind of keep in touch and kind of get feedback from them. Yeah. Uh, Adam Amin, who does a ton of stuff now for ESPN. We did a water polo game years ago, right? And he's still a person that, you know, will respond to an email about this or that. Hey, look at this, you know, the way you called it or that sort of thing. Um, those were all really, really helpful um, in kind of the sports broadcasting realm. Um, and then another thing that was kind of like a tangent, but I did uh, for for a number of years, I was involved in a lot of like improv comedy. Mm. And that was very helpful in kind of getting out of your own head when it comes to uh, performing, which is essentially what broadcasting is, right? You're performing yeah. in a way. Um, and a lot of those teachers uh, and coaches, uh, Billy Merritt, Julie Brister, among many that were just influential in like building confidence um, and, uh, you know, and kind of showing you what you could be. And then since I'm dropping a bunch of names, I'll go back to kind of the start a bit, but where I went to undergrad, Monmouth University, Rhett Rich, uh, was the advisor of the radio station and was a voice coach and got rid of any New Jersey accent that I had <laughs> and just like stomped it out of us yeah. with like repeated vocal exercises. Um, Chris Cavallaro, who since passed away, Rhett Rich was like the voice expert and Chris Cavallaro was like the technical expert. Like you're not going to do things that are terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you turn it in, I'm going to throw it back at you. Yeah. You had those two guys and then John Morano was kind of the third cog in that machine when it comes to like the written word and just being a good kind of advisor. So those, those three guys, and you know, I'm sure you had people like this in your, in your college days too. Like if you're lucky, you get one, if you're really lucky, maybe you get three, yeah. maybe you get five people that see Jim Driscoll's another name that popped in my mind, people that see the potential in you and, uh, try and foster it and push in the right direction and yeah. tell you that your ideas aren't crazy and try and push you forward and, and see where you can go. And they, they see the same vision that you see. And, uh, you know, hopefully everyone, if you're trying to do something very difficult like this, uh, you are lucky enough to have people like that in your corner. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I have to say, even though you left me out, I will say, <laughs> <laughs> and Steve I will say that I've always enjoyed uh, listening to the broadcast. And yeah, I don't think there's any way to really sum up all the things that you've done for our sport. And everybody, you know, a lot of people listening, you know, it's like, they love this sport, you know, and, and most of us get into coaching and doing things because they want to give back to the sport that they feel have given so much to them. Um, and for someone like yourself to come in and continue to help the sport grow and make it a, do it in a positive direction, put it in the positive direction, I think is like invaluable. So I can't thank you enough for number one, for what you've done for USA water polo, what you've done for broadcasting water polo. And, um, and, and obviously for being on the show. So thank you very much for being here. And uh, I hope I get to hear your voice <laughs> on a broadcast soon. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying all that. It's, it's funny. I think, um, you know, we're talking about a little bit off, off air, right? I think in any uh, creative or objective medium, you know, there's going to be people that like what you do and people that you're not their cup of tea. And I understand that, that I'm sure there's people that tune into NCAA championships every year and they're like, uh, again, like, <laughs> this guy. can we get somebody else, please, yeah. you know, um, anybody. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I appreciate everything uh, that you said there. And uh, one of the exciting things about being around this sport is that everyone is so passionate and yeah. so everyone is so invested in, you know, it is like a little club in a way, even though it's getting bigger, everyone that's in it feels uh, they, they take it very, very personally and, yeah. very, and they feel like a personal responsibility about it. So um, it's it's been fun to kind of help push that forward. The greatest compliment that I get now is that people assume that I played. <laughs> so they, I, I'll get asked often about where I played or where yeah. I went. And 
Um, I, you know, we, I always joke that I should make up some program. That, yeah. You know, no UCLA, UCLA, bro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where do you think I play? It's, it's funny. Uh, the, you know, the community college uh, near my high school, Brookdale Community College, this is going to just be a non secular that no one cares about but me. It's in Lincroft, New Jersey. It's called Brookdale Community College. And as a running joke in high school, people would call it UCLA because it was university closest to the Lincroft Acme, which was a supermarket in town. <laughs> nice. okay, so, so everyone that was going to Brookdale would often refer to as UCLA, but nice. we knew they didn't mean that. Uh, yeah, so perhaps that's where I played water polo, yeah. Brookdale. Well, no so uh, you're saying that you're going to post a picture of yourself in a Speedo on the next counterattack. No, you know what? That's that's uh, something nobody. We talked about you know potential opinions. That is uh, without that doubt something cut. nobody wants. So. We'll, we'll avoid that. Yeah. Thanks again for being on the show. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah. Happy to be here. And uh, good luck with uh, Marin Water Polo. Thanks, man. Yeah.